Welcome to Pocket Full of Grace, weekly podcast of Grace Lutheran Church here in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Carolyn Hedrick, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Pastor Scott Scholl, as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship for this Sunday, October 10th, 2021, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. God calls us to a life of discipleship, to consider God's words with skin on, not just as spiritualized ideas. It is challenging when God calls us to set ourselves aside and see what God is doing, but God promises to give us what we truly need, and to make God's will possible in love for all God has made. Jesus looks upon you with love. Let's walk with our good teacher, and may we leave with a pocket full of grace for our journey. Pastor Shul, let's ground ourselves in the prayer of the day. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, increase in us your gift of faith that forsaking what lies behind and reaching out to what lies ahead, we may follow the way of your commandments and receive the crown of everlasting joy through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Hmm. So I always imagine faith like a seed. And it starts out, we're given faith in our baptism, and it starts out imperceptible really to us when we're babies and infants and young children but that God's hope and desire and wishes that our faith that we've been given will grow and unfortunately I think sometimes though that growth means that sometimes things that we think we're set on we find out maybe we shouldn't be well to to extend the gardening metaphor there are lots of things you can do to a a plot of land to make it better or to make it worse you can certainly overplant it and so the the image that was really uh, permeating my imagination with this prayer was the word reaching reaching out because you can't reach out to something if your hands are already full mm-hmm. and I brought to mind a beautiful quote I've long treasured from one of my favorite saints Therese of Lisieux she wrote this near the end of her autobiography uh, as she was dealing with a terminal illness. She wrote, At the close of life's evening, I shall appear before you with empty hands. For I ask not, Lord, that you would count my works. All our justice is tarnished in your sight. It's therefore my desire to be clothed with your own justice and to receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. I want no other throne nor other crown but you my beloved. So, you know, I, we spend our lives, a fair bit of them at least, trying to load up our hands with possessions and degrees and accomplishments. And I'm speaking as much about myself as anyone else. And I've uh, increasingly uh, become enamored with that thought of appearing before Jesus with empty hands, uh, knowing that what he will put into those hands, his grace, his love, his mercy, is more than enough. But to get there from where I am at or where most of us are at, it's gonna it's gonna take a process. Yeah, I mean I think in opposition to the notion of those of us who do feel that we have been blessed with many things, I wonder how this prayer would sound to someone who is living a life where they are in poverty. Mm-hmm. And how would forsaking what lies behind and reaching out to what lies ahead seem different if it wasn't bounded by 
imagining a world where we have a lot of stuff, where our hands are are empty. Yeah, and I, and I think the answer to that is to view the prayer more broadly than mere material possessions. What are the things we hold on to that might keep us from grasping towards Christ? Might it be a grudge? Might it be fears, insecurities? There are all sorts of non-material things that we all hold on to to some degree. Um, ju just the ability to have hope as somebody who maybe is uh, an immigrant or uh, is, is moving between countries and has nothing but the clothes on their back, to be able to grasp at God's hope in the midst of all of the burdens that have been placed on such a person, that's something that truly requires God's grace. Yeah. And I think as we move into our first reading in a moment, one of the ways that people who find themselves in that situation can hold on to that hope is that they see glimmers of it. And I think yeah. that is how God uses us. When we can be a glimmer of hope for someone, a tangible hope mm -hmm. for someone, um, that's one of the best things that we can do with what we are fortunate enough to have is to be able to be a beacon of hope so that people don't uh, despair but continue to reach out for what lies ahead and, and help people to be able to know what God wants us to know in terms of that abundant life. And I think that happens um, not so much from just platitudes mm -hmm. or fortune cookie sayings, but sharing our stories, sharing our stories of suffering, our stories of fear and of God's provision, of God's presence, uh, of, of God coming to us because there's nothing special about you or me or anyone else that's unique in that regard. We all have God's love, and sharing those stories can be very empowering. Yeah. Alongside that, as we move into Amos, if we have things that we can actually share that are physical things, instead of saying, well, God doesn't want us to get caught up in works, mm -hmm. God does want us to do good uh, for those around us and to share what we have in tangible ways as well. Yeah, loving our neighbor is a beautiful way of loving our God. Amen. Well, our first reading comes to us today from the fifth chapter of Amos. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground, they hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore the prudent will keep silence in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. It's a hard reading to hear, uh, unless you're one of those people who have been trampled, mm -hmm. who have been oppressed, then this is good news. This is God saying, this is not my way. This is not my wish for you. 
and God is delivering that difficult message through an unlikely vessel. Uh, Amos is operating in the eighth century uh, before, uh, before Jesus, about the time of Isaiah. He's a herdsman from the Judean hills around Bethlehem, speaking to people in the north who really don't want to hear this message. And, and by the time he's delivering it, uh, God has determined a, a course of action. This isn't about, well, it's not like Jonah, where Jonah had this opportunity to preach repentance. Amos is merely saying, here's what's coming down because of what has happened. Yeah, you know... Um... As I look around in our world today and I see um, all of the hand-wringing about what's going on with our climate patterns in the world, Mm. and over and over now, for the last several years, I've heard people say, this is going to be our last clear chance. This is going to be our last opportunity. This is going to be the last time we can really get together and do something meaningful, and we keep establishing these milestones. Yeah. Of By this date, this thing needs to happen or else. And as you're saying with Old Testament prophets, the prophets aren't coming to say, do this or else. The prophets are coming to say, a bunch of words have been given hmm. to you, and you haven't followed them. And what you will now see is a direct consequence. Mm-hmm of either your actions or your inactions. And one of the things that that people will want to say is, well, you know, God inflicted this upon people. Well, we were given an opportunity Mm -hmm. to change our course instead of to just keep going blindly on. And that kind of mindset is what Amos is speaking to here. You've been told, don't do this, yet here we are. Uh, and you think that everything that you've built, that the world revolves around what happens by your hand. And these consequences that are coming are are not the product of God merely being arbitrary right. or drawing arbitrary lines in the sand and saying, my way or the highway because I'm God and you're not. Mm-hmm. I, I think this reading of Amos is informed by a couple of bookends we have in the text here. The first one, right at the beginning, seek the Lord and live. Mm-hmm. And near the end, seek good and not evil, that you may live. Mm -hmm. And I think live here in this context isn't so much about mortality, death. It's about a meaningful, quality life. Look, we're we're all going through this uh, reassessment of our own lives right now, whether we acknowledge it or not. We're all thinking to ourselves, gosh, this pandemic has shuffled every deck on my table, and I'm not sure that the way I lived before is the way I want to live now. We're making all sorts of decisions, all of us, about our work, about the way we, we, we live at home, our possessions, how involved we are at church, in civic events, and so forth. We're, we're realizing in this moment that we have an opportunity to choose a new way of life, to live. And God is saying, I've got one in mind for you. It involves loving your neighbor, it involves praising me. It involves getting involved in creation and seeing my presence there, seeing the interconnectedness of all things and having a meaningful life. So God's correction here is just not about punishment. It's about uh, a course correction so that we can live and be as God intended us to live and be. And in verse 11, God is reminding us that that message is not just about some of us, 
not just about those of us who have uh, a fair amount of agency in our lives. God's saying through the prophet, quit trampling on the poor. Yeah. Quit, you know, shoving people out of the way and treating them like an inconvenience and afflicting them. Part of living is that we are living together, that there's a communal understanding that we're in this together, not as isolated individuals and, you know, that what I do is my own business. Um, we can't, on the one hand, say that everything that we have is by our hand and then say that everything bad is not by our hand. Right. And rather than keep doing that, what if we focused on just saying, doesn't everybody really want to have an abundant life, have a meaningful life? What if we worked at that instead of all these other ways that, that we could be? I would be happy if we could just acknowledge more often uh, that we need each other. Yep. However you define that, we need each other. Yeah. Well, we were created for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, maybe that is really a good segue. In fact, I'm sure it is into our psalm and talking about wisdom. That's Psalm 90, verses 12 through 17, which Pastor will read responsively. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long will you tarry? Be gracious to your servants. Satisfy us by your steadfast love in the morning. So shall we rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you afflicted us and as many years as we suffered adversity. Show your servants your works and your splendor to their children. May the graciousness of the Lord our God be upon us. Prosper the work of our hands. Prosper, prosper our handiwork. Yeah, numbering our days and applying our hearts to wisdom. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing that I thought a whole lot about in my 20s or my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the one place where I think I did back then was when I'd be getting near to the end of a vacation. Well, there you go. Then you think to yourself, well, I've only got a day or two left. I've got to get this done and that done, and I want to see this site and experience this thing. You, you, you kind of experience that shortness of time that we otherwise are very good at putting out of mind. Uh, there's, a, there's an old um, no, medieval practice that seems to be coming back in some quarters. The Latin phrase is memento mori. Be mindful of your death, your mortality. Keeps, keeps perspective for you when you realize you're not going to be here forever. Uh, it's easier to clean out a couple of things at the very least. Yeah. But you know, in this psalm, once we get past that first verse, you realize that the psalmist is not speaking from a position of comfort. Return, O Lord, how long will you tarry? Yeah. This is spoken by someone who is feeling the absence of God's beneficence, of God's care. And not only that, realizes, you know... I might have had a hand in how we got where we are, wherever that is. Because after you hear how long will you tarry, the next phrase is be gracious to your servants. If you ever got in trouble when you were growing up, 
And someone said, wait till your father comes home. Or oh, that could, I, I don't, I have no experience with that. <laughs> you know, I was sort of hoping that it would take a long time for my father to come. He could, he could tarry all the time he wanted, I'd be okay. Uh, but, but so you realize that this person is, there. there's some kind of assessing going on. Mm. And we don't know exactly what that is. Um, but what we do know is that there is a desire for God to be gracious mm-hmm. anyway. And for God's love to be steadfast, even if whatever the psalmist has been up to hasn't been steadfast mm-hmm, love. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, we're really going to be happy and glad when that happens. So God, could you come? Let's just get through that and get to the happy part. Um, but there's a recognition there that that something is out of harmony. Yeah. And that the psalmist has a role in that somehow. Well, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but we do know that it is the only psalm attributed, at least in words to Moses. Again, did Moses write it? I don't know. But the psalm in both in most of your Bibles will say a psalm of Moses. And when you think of Moses, it fits so perfectly what you just said there. If somebody who is stuck in the wilderness, who is seeing the misery of the people, who's feeling the heat from them and, and, and the grumpiness from them, and probably wondering along the way, did I take a wrong turn? Did I contribute to some of this? God, can you come clean this mess up quickly? And I think Moses actually knows that he has made some wrong turns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just a question how many. Right, right. Um, but that rather than that being the last word, that mm-hmm. God will mm-hmm. come to restore mm-hmm. right relationships to him, mm-hmm. and that then when God's hand of grace is upon the people, because Moses or the psalmist is not speaking only of the singular here. Yeah. Prosper the work of our hands. And when we hear that phrase, prosper our handiwork, prosper the work of our hands, we should hear that as being about that what our hands are doing is serving because Mm -hmm. we're servants of the Lord. Prosper the work of our hands in the ways that we are serving you, God. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, sometimes we Lutherans, we get we talk a lot about grace and we're like, well, we don't want to hear about works. But it's just the truth that at the end of the day, God working in and through us will be the work of our hands. It's yeah. what is that about? Is it about earning something or is it about prospering what God desires, which is a different thing? Yeah, let me amplify that a little bit to say that um, I like this handiwork hands discussion here because it takes it out of that spiritualization of work for God. It's not just... Showing up on Sunday morning, that's important. But it can be any act of service or, or the creation of beauty. I've, I've taken up drawing lately. I really like that. And I think that can be an offering to God. It can be a way of serving. It can be a way of making somebody's day a little brighter. Uh, there are all sorts of things we can do with our hands and our handiwork that is as holy as anything we do on Sunday morning. Right. And remembering, of course, that the works of our hands don't only happen on Sunday morning. They happen every day and anywhere and all the time, or they certainly can. And with God uh, prospering what we endeavor to do for that reason, uh, God's will will be done as God knows that it is best. Well, let's move on as the bells are tolling in the background here, (laughs) keeping our time uh, to our second reading from the fourth chapter of Hebrews. Indeed, the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. 
able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I like this lesson a lot. I find Hebrews to be a fascinating book. It's, uh, it's really an extended sermon and makes more use of the Old Testament uh, than any other book of the New Testament. And I think Martin Luther would be pretty happy with this text as well because it's a classic law and gospel uh, uh, lesson. The law in the first uh, couple of verses there exposes how broken and deficient we are. But then the surprise comes in the second part of the text where using this great Old Testament imagery of Christ as the great high priest, you're prepared to be summoned before the big boss and to be condemned. And instead, you're ushered to the throne of grace. There's forgiveness, there's love, there's mercy. It is a beautiful grace-filled image in this text. It is, it is. There's very much that understanding of, you know, if the mirror was held up to us and we could see everything that we'd ever thought, said, or done, um, you know, who could stand? And then to find out that God in Christ sympathizes with our weaknesses and recognizes how hard it is for us to be steadfast in the way God is steadfast, to be mm-hmm. faithful in the way that God is faithful. It doesn't mean that we don't try, though. Right. And I love everything about approaching the throne of grace with boldness because Lord knows I'm going to need that throne of grace. The only thing I would add is that it's not just we're hopeless. God's grace is a throne for us and nothing in between matters. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is why the word of God is living and active. Because sometimes God's word does come to us in showing us where we have fallen short mm-hmm. and says, in love, I love you. I sympathize with your weaknesses and I love you enough to not let you stay the way you are mm-hmm. because there is something better for you. There's something better for the world. And sometimes love requires us to say, this thing here, this needs to not go on because it's not, it's not good for you and it's not good for others. At the end of the day, however, we will never be able to have mastered all of the surgical precision to get that all right. Yeah. And that's why that throne of grace is so amazing is because although God wants us to endeavor to embody God's law of love in the world. God knows that we will not always get it right. God hopes that we love the things that God loves, but promises to meet us with mercy and grace, like everyone else at the end. The theological terms here that are in question, uh, salvation on the one hand, that notion of you're going to get to heaven because of Jesus' forgiveness, but the term that you're sort of dancing around is sanctification. 
the uh, the idea that in the midst of this life as we're living it and, and getting ready you know someday to enter heaven God is continuing to work on us with grace and we have the capacity again through God's grace to be a little better tomorrow than we were today and not to accept the way we were a long time ago again that's that's all grace uh, but it gives you some hope that we can make at least some progress in this life not only for the benefit of our neighbor but for our own happiness as well mm-hmm. I'm also thinking as we're as we're reading this text here about the the sympathetic uh, high priest you know we spent a lot of time in our staff meeting today uh, talking about Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and all these different things coming up Christmas is really about this high priest and how that high priest Jesus does learn to sympathize with our weaknesses who has been tested as we are that only happened because God became a baby out of love for us so it's a it's a way for you to justify putting on some Christmas carols now oh okay well I didn't see that one coming (laughs) and I'm just gonna say well let's move on to the gospel then Because I don't have any follow-ups for that. Our gospel this week is from uh, the 10th chapter of Mark, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was was shocked. And went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You're preaching this week and uh, pastor, what are you thinking with this text? Well, there's probably a lot of things that we don't have enough time to go through all of them. But the thing that I most start with with this passage is that when this man comes and kneels before Jesus and and is sincere in his request, 
what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And here, eternal life, he's really talking about God's blessings, that mm-hmm. you're seen to be blessed. Uh, what do I have to do? And Jesus tells him, well, you know, if we're going to talk about doing, you know the commandments, you know what to do. And he rattles off the commandments that are the, the second part of the law, the, mm-hmm. all the commandments that have to do with other people. Right. And the man says, you know, I've kept all of these. And then Jesus looks at him with love. Jesus doesn't say, are you kidding me? Don't you see what's wrong with you? He doesn't berate him. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't uh, embarrass him. He looks upon him with love. And for everything that the man has, there's something that he lacks. Mm -hmm. And there's this fascinating thing that's happening with the pronouns in verse 21. You lack one thing. You go. You sell what you own. You give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. You come. And then after all those yous, what's left is follow me. Mm. We don't hear you. We hear me as in Jesus. You give those things away, and what we receive is we receive Jesus. We receive God's love. We receive something that's impossible for us to earn. And along the way, when we remember that it's not just about deprivation, if we give away our physical things or we give away our uh, emotional attachments, whatever those are, Mm -hmm. look at what we're receiving. We're receiving God's love. We're receiving a family in the body of Christ. We're receiving eternal life, which is yet to come. And there's so much more that we'll continue to receive But if we have to hold on to what we think that we have to hold, and those hands are full, as you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. we'll miss that blessing, at least our experience of it in the here and now. Because the kingdom is. The kingdom starts now. And God's asking us to live into eternity by beginning some eternal practices now and, and drawing closer to God to see the blessing that it is. So there's a lot that we can chew on as we move into Sunday. But I hope that you won't just see this passage as being one of chastising and deprivation. Right. See it as being about love and about possibility. Yeah, it's going to rattle us because it's asking us to let go of some things. But then when we do, we can open our eyes and see the rest of the world and their needs too. And I hope that when we do that, we realize just how much love there is that we could be enjoying together. So that's where we're going to head for Sunday. It's not fully written yet, though, so who knows exactly what the sausage will look like till it's finished (laughs) being made. But in the meantime, I must be hungry, because in the meantime, we're going to pray, and I have a prayer about bread. Well, that works for me. (laughs) It does, and I'm going to read this, friends, uh, first in the language in which it was written. It's a prayer from Federico Pagura, who is an Argentine Methodist bishop. Bendice, Señor, nuestro pan, y da pan a los que tienen hambre. Y hambre de justicia a los que tienen pan. Bendice, Señor, nuestro pan. Lord, bless the bread you have given. And give bread to all who are hungry. Give hunger for justice to those with bread. Lord, bless the bread you have given. Amen. Friends, stay tuned for Sunday when you can join us one of three ways. In person in our sanctuary at 8 and 10.30 a.m., outdoors in our courtyard at 9 a.m. In the event of bad weather, we'll move indoors to the Miller Center. For outdoor worship, we ask you to mask whenever we sing. 
For indoor worship, we ask all people to mask regardless of vaccination status. Each week, we are also broadcasting on the radio on WRSC at 10.30 a.m. And we are live streaming our 10.30 a.m. service. You can see and hear worship live available at our website, glcpa.org. Just click on the link that says Watch Worship Now. And if you get there late, don't worry. You can watch it anytime after 10.30 a.m. This Sunday at 1 p.m., we'll have our third annual Blessing of Pets and Their People in our courtyard. The rain location will be the Miller Center. So whether your companion walks, flies, swims, or slithers, all are welcome. Slither, talking about me there? Careful. <laughs> we'll bless our companions and give thanks for those departed friends. Hey, however we gather, know that it is a joy to be together in person or in spirit as we continue to follow Jesus. Take care, friends.